I understand that completely. I think like we will, we're like goldfish will expand to the size of our fishbowl or our fish tank. And I find that to be completely true. That's why I love the, the tiny house movement. Like you're really restricting like how much you can accumulate. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 124 with Aaron Mersch. Ever since reading The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, I've wanted to talk to a Marie expert. I'm excited to bring you this conversation with Aaron Mersch, where we'll learn what makes Marie Kondo's technique different, how to apply it to downsizing for a tiny house, and why organizing to fit more stuff isn't the answer. I hope you stick around. But before we get started, if you have questions that you'd like me to answer live on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast, I've opened a new way for you to submit them. You can now record a question to be answered on the show. To submit your question, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask and hit the appropriate button. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash ask, where you can record a question for me to answer on the show. I love hearing from listeners, and I can't wait to answer your tiny house questions, whether it's building, living, or anything related to the tiny house lifestyle. Everything is fair game. Head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask to submit your question today. Right. I am here with Aaron Mersch. Aaron is a certified master Marie consultant and founder of Organized for Good in Austin, Texas. Since 2016, Aaron has worked one-on-one with clients to declutter and reorganize their space and reset their life by letting go of what is no longer serving them. She is driven to reduce mindless consumerism and help her clients live more meaningful lives with less stuff while ensuring that discarded items are donated and recycled within the local community so that useful resources are not wasted. Erin also organizes local clothing swaps and offers workshops to teach others how to tidy up. Erin Mersch, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I I just wanted to start by saying I, I really appreciate, you know, right in your bio talking about the need to kind of recycle and reuse. Um, I totally ate up, you know, the the life changing magic of tidying up, and and I watched the the show. Um, but I was kind of horrified sometimes, like watching them fill like trash bags full of clothes, and then throw them down the stairs, and they just like tumble into a big pile of giant ten gallon trash bags. Yeah, I yeah, was by that as well. <laughs> yeah, so it's nice, you know, it does take a little bit extra energy to to bring things to the proper places, but. Um, is that something that you like felt passionate about that you wanted to bring to this? Yeah. From the very beginning, uh, in working with clients, I was seeing that a huge roadblock for a lot of people and letting things go is not wanting to see them go to waste. So I did a bunch of research initially about where to best donate things because a lot of people have strong feelings about goodwill and how corporate it is and wanting to really keep the resources uh, in communities that need them uh, locally. 
So that was the initial bit. And then also seeing just how much of stuff was just considered trash, you know, individual like game pieces and scrap like plastic bins that had broken and little hardware that was all mixed nuts and bolts and all kinds of things. Also hazardous waste, like people just can't really declutter things and organize if they don't know what the exit strategy will be and where things will go. So initially it was just research compiling. And then I would return to the same client. We had multiple sessions booked, you know, every couple of weeks or so is a, is a good rhythm for the type of work that we do. And I'd return and there would still be these piles of things that need to be taken to donate, things that need to be taken to recycling. So I started including a, a hauling service as well, just to take that one extra step off of their shoulders. And it makes me feel better because I know exactly where these things are going and it's not going to the landfill. So it's great. That's awesome. I, I've My wife and I will kind of help each other get rid of things. And you, it's so hard to get rid of things that are yours. Um, but she'll usually say like, I'm ready to let this stuff go, but I just have to trust that it's not getting thrown out. But if you can help me and like promise me that you're going to do something with it, then I can let it go. Yes. Yeah. It's a huge roadblock for a lot of people. And you're so right about it being so much more difficult with your own stuff because it's tied into your, you know, identity and different places of life, chapters of life. So even though it may be a simple like object that doesn't, it isn't worth much financially, it means, it usually means a lot more to you. So yeah, you have a a justification for wanting to make sure that it doesn't just get thrown out and treated like trash. Yeah. So I'm curious how you got into this, this line of work. Were you already kind of working in the, the decluttering space before Marie Kondo or yeah. Tell me your story. But the timing of it was so, uh, I think kismet or just divine. Um, but I previously was working in a corporate environment in the field of international studies. A study abroad provider was the was my employer. And I just was spending a lot of time in my little cubicle along the side of a highway. And around that time, my my dad got sick and passed away rather suddenly from a very aggressive cancer. And like it was like a light bulb went off when he died. Like you only live once and I hate the the YOLO expression, but truly you don't know how much time you have. So you really should own your life and, and make the decisions. I know, you know, lifestyle or tiny house lifestyle people will really get this. It's like, you just have to take a chance, take a risk and divert from the mainstream and, and do what you want. I didn't know that was going to be organizing initially, but I knew that I wanted to work for myself. I knew that I wanted to feel like I was helping people and see the results of the work that I was doing. So initially I was doing part-time jobs at all of these different things. And one of them was organizing with a young woman who owned a company here in Austin. And she was kind of a mentor, really taught me the ropes. And I decided that, yeah, this was the work that I wanted to do. And decided to start my own business and filed an LLC. And like two weeks later, after I got my LLC, I got an email from Marie Kondo's 
company that they were starting to certify consultants. This was back in 2016 when they initially launched their international consultancy program. So I jumped right on board. I had read her book and was inspired by her method and the mindfulness and intentionality and methodicalness of it. Um, It just all made so much sense and spoke to how powerful it is to really rearrange the physical stuff in your life when you're feeling maybe a little bit lost internally. So it can be a really introspective and enlightening process. Yeah, just personally, like hearing you talk about that made me kind of just realize how how much that stuff like actually holds you back and like getting rid of it is the hardest part but then as soon as that's over it's it's so easy um my wife and I actually just had to move our tiny house for the first time in 7 years and we had access to this garage on that land and over the course of those 7 years had just absolutely filled it with stuff and like we had we kind of hosted our own wedding on that land so we had like tarps and hoses and string lights and like all these like wedding like these supplies for this outdoor event that we only ever had once um and it was it was so much work getting rid of it it was that was the hardest part like moving the tiny house wasn't hard at all <laughs> yes uh i understand that completely i think like we will we're like goldfish will expand to the size of our fishbowl or our fish tank and I find that to be completely true. That's why I love the the tiny house movement. Like you're really restricting like how much you can accumulate. And I don't, I don't, maybe restricting is not the right word. It sounds negative, but I think it's like, it's uh, forcing you to continually be mindful about what you're keeping, what you're purchasing. And uh, it's, it's so powerful. Yeah. The, the accumulation effect happens quickly. It gets out of hand quickly. And it's so much easier to accumulate than to than to let go. So being mindful is is key. Yeah. There there's something. It's been a while since I've read um, Marie Kondo's book, but I remember she talked about how you know getting really into like organization and like figuring out ways to fit more stuff in a smaller space is actually counterproductive and is kind of you think you're decluttering, but you're actually just coming up with solutions to to make more space. Can you talk about how that has played out in 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 what you do? Yeah. She says in her book and this was controversial but I loved it. Uh storage experts are hoarders. And the reason is exactly as you described, like as soon as you start thinking about where am I going to put this, you stop thinking critically about what it is you're actually keeping. So in her method, she has you, you know, tidy your home one category of item at a time. So items can be spread out in storage throughout your house. Maybe you have, you know, you store candles in three different places, or you've got like batteries and light bulbs in four different places. So for each category of item, you're going to pull it all out into one space so you can quickly inventory and see, get a realistic idea of the volume that you have. The problem with you know, quickly jumping to storage solutions, it's totally a band-aid fix. It's not, you know, as soon as you start living your life normally, this clutter comes out of its storage, unless you're very methodical, uh, it will come out and it will be more clutter. And like I said, you accumulate more. So your storage capacity will fill up again. 
you're going to have to go out and, you know, purchase whatever neck band-aid solution is going to be. And you don't really get it to the heart of how much do I own? How much do I really need? And what, what can I curate and only keep the things that really make me happy or really serve me in my, in my life, live, live the life that I really want to live. Why is it so important to both organize by category and also to, to pull everything that you have? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the advantage of tidying by category is I'm sure we've all tried this before to, to get organized and you start in one room and then you work your way to different spaces throughout the house. The problem with that, that is you're going to end up moving piles of clutter from one space to the next. And if you are not thorough in your approach and pull everything out of storage, then you're going to overlook items that you didn't know you have. So that leads to buying duplicate items and wasting money on things that you didn't actually need. And you're not going to reduce as much because say, you know, I'm doing my shoe category and I'm going through the shoes that are in my closet, but I'm not thinking about the shoes that are in the mudroom or the garage or, you know, in the suitcase packed away from the last trip that I went on. If you're not considering those, then you might look at your shoes and feel like that scarcity. Like, I don't know if I have enough shoes. Like, you know, I need this type and this type and this type. And so you'll keep more than you would have otherwise if you had really rounded them all up from all the spaces and took a full inventory. And then you're, you're making educated decisions and you're able to really compare and contrast like, okay, how many pairs of casual shoes do I really need for the activity that I'm going on? Like the question might lead you to, to really reduce down to the essential and to compare and contrast. Like if I was given an opportunity where I needed a, something dressy, like what's my, my favorite of the dressy stuff? You're going to, I mean, we all just have way more than we need. So it's about reducing. Do you, can you kind of articulate the difference? I, I recently interviewed um, this guy, Joshua Becker. It hasn't come out on the show yet, but he runs a website, Becoming Minimalist. Oh, I love him. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I follow him. Yeah. No, he's a really inspiring person. Um, great minimalist thinker. I'm curious is the is the goal here for people to be striving for minimalism or is there kind of a sweet spot between you know the average american who probably has way too much stuff and like joshua who like has like five black v-neck t-shirts and one coffee mug and like he writes about how intentionally he's like stripped down to just the bare minimum I am so glad you asked that. Um, that is a, a big misconception. People think that Marie Kondo is a minimalist and that she's advocating for having as little as possible. And perhaps the way I was talking about reducing, um, really, it's more of a curation and how it differs from minimalism is the ultimate goal is not to have necessarily as little as you need as possible. Remember that her main question is, does it spark joy? So you're asked to really look within and what your what your goals in in life are and for like not everyone wants to be a minimalist. I'm I'm sure in the tiny house community they're they're probably going to be leaning towards that way which is why I was speaking more to that element of decluttering but really it's about 
letting go of even like, you know, difficult emotional baggage things, you know, reminders from maybe toxic people in your life or the guilt of that can come with receiving a gift that you're not really that crazy about. So it's giving you permission slips to let go of all of that and really only keep what sparks joy. So you can be a maximalist and practice the KonMari method. Like it's not about the number of things you own. It's really about curating for your own personal values and and how you want to live your life. Cool. I I wonder, um, I don't want to like stereotype by, by gender, but I, I can imagine like maybe you're working with, with, um, a couple and like the macho dude is like sparks joy. Like that is so just, how do you, how do you articulate that? And how do you translate that into other, how do you make people understand that? Sure. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's a good question too. I mean, 90% of my Instagram audience is women (laughs) and probably about the same percentage of my clients are women, but I do have men from time to time. And I have women who don't really understand the, the concept of sparking joy. It's not until Marie Kondo brought it into our lexicon. I don't think we would ever phrase, you know, use that phrase. Um, but really what it's about, it's, checking in with yourself internally and trusting your intuition for what you want and need in life. It's trusting your desires and it's, you know, comparing, comparing how you feel about different things. So it's, it's building an awareness of your internal state. And ultimately, honestly, we learn through this process that it's not stuff that brings us joy principally, um, but it can enhance our lifestyle that does bring us joy. So the whole idea is that stuff is meant to support your life. So usually men understand that, that more rational approach. And first, the first step is to envision your ideal lifestyle and get clear on what it is you're after. You know, for someone who aspires to a tiny house, that's their ideal lifestyle. So you think about, you know, what you want your day-to-day life look to look like in that tiny house. And then you can use that as your motivation, as you're deciding what you're ready to thank and let go and what you really want to keep and, and honor that, that part of yourself and what is compatible with the lifestyle that you're seeking. How do you, I'm curious how you help people separate out you know, there are things that maybe don't spark joy, but that are just things that you, you need, or you can't afford to replace them with something that does. Yeah. Uh, great. (laughs) Good questions here. Um, so think about like a screwdriver probably doesn't inspire much joy. And she talks, she uses this example in her book. I'm pulling it from her. Uh, a screwdriver probably does not inspire that much joy unless you're, you know, really into tools and building things. Um, but the utility of it cannot be argued against. Like if you need to remove a screw or put it in, like that's the object you want. So you can learn that lesson by getting rid of your screwdriver because it doesn't spark joy. But the next time you need to tighten or loosen a screw, you're going to be using any like other object and it's just going to make it more complicated. So convenience and, and ease and utilitarian function also play a role. And that's 
you know, in, in really all of the categories, um, but especially in that big miscellaneous category, which is placed like towards the end of the, of the process, it's not really a lot of joy sparking stuff. I mean, if you're going through cleaning supplies and, you know, lawn care items, like maybe it's not joyful, but having a nice lawn is joyful. So bringing it to the result that this tool or item brings. Nice. I like that. Just kind of connecting it to the end product that maybe can spark joy. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if um, due to the pandemic, have you shifted, have you had to shift a lot more virtual or were you already doing mostly virtual? Um, I was not doing virtual before the pandemic. So that's something that I've pivoted to in the last couple of months. Since about mid-March, I was not doing in-person consultations and was just feeling <laughs> like I wanted to help people still. And I, and I still wanted to make money. So I started doing a uh, zoom and, you know, FaceTime support. I think that there's a certain type of person who just needs a little bit of guidance, just a little bit of accountability, but they can do it on their own. It's not right for everyone. Some people really rely on more of the the physical work and having someone there to keep them on task the entire time. So I'm back to in-person consulting now. Luckily, where I am in Austin, there are still a relatively low number of cases. So I'm wearing a mask in people's homes. And, and so far, it hasn't changed the dynamic, um, kind of like I feared it would. But it's it's been good. So I'm still offering... Uh, both in-person and virtual call support. Nice. And I, I saw on your website that you're doing a, a quarantine home detox. Maybe you could talk about that program a little bit. Sure. Actually, that program just ended. Um, it was kind of a, a, a trial and a fundraiser. I felt, you know, really helpless at the, at the onset of this pandemic and so many people losing their incomes and, and needing food. And I was feeling helpless. So I put together this six-week program um, utilizing Facebook groups, a private group. And each week, we tackled a few different categories in the method. And I uploaded a video kind of explaining ways to think about it, questions to ask yourself, how to organize it once you've already done the you know thinking and letting go and deciding what to keep. And we had some good engagement in there. It was really nice. But I, I think I will likely offer something like that in the future, um, maybe for a New Year's program or, or something like that. But it was fun to, to see people sharing photos of you know before and after and talking about ch- challenges and unexpected obstacles and kind of how they, how they got through it. And yeah, I really liked it. Nice. I'm curious if if you have any because you've been doing this now for several years like some places where you see a lot of clients get really hung up and how you how you help them move through those those challenges. I think it really depends from person to person which category will be the most challenging for some people clothes which is the first category is super easy and they have no problem letting go of those things. 
Um, others really struggle in papers and maybe have held on to a lot of, you know, intact file cabinets for 10 years of records and things like that. So that's kind of a roadblock. Maybe there's anxiety about letting go of some piece of information that they need. So those are some common ones. And then the kimono category, which is the Japanese, you know, miscellaneous category, which is the second to last category in this method. It's just so big. And, you know, even if you break it down, okay, today I'm going to tackle kitchen items. Tomorrow I'm going to tackle cleaning and then health and beauty. Even breaking it down, just figuring out, you know, where to start with with those miscellaneous categories can be overwhelming. Because like I said, it's often stored all over the house. And if you've got a garage, as as is what you mentioned from your wedding, then you want to treat that as a separate space. So that's that's what I would recommend for a garage is sort out the items within that space and work your way through. It seems like with with paper and miscellaneous, it's the kind of thing where you can do this and kind of really clear it all out, but then it starts to build up again over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any suggestions on like kind of developing systems to help prevent Things like papers, I'm like, I'm looking at my desk and it's like the last like month of like papers still have to go into my little filing cabinet for the, for the year. And they're just like piling up here. Yep. Yep. I always implement an incoming paper system because you're right. That is one of those categories. Like after you've cleared it out, it's going to keep coming in. You get mail every day. If you've got kids that, you know, come home with school papers, maybe you've got work papers, you need a good system to manage that. So First of all, I would separate the work stuff from the home stuff, but I would have, you know, some sort of an incoming system where you can designate, okay, these are, these papers represent actions that I need to take, whether it's a bill that I need to pay or uh, an invitation that I need to RSVP to, yada, yada, yada. Um, Have a folder or a designated place for those action items, then have a place for things that you do need to file away. Like, you know, W-2s coming in or your vehicle registration, contracts, that kind of thing that need to be saved for the long haul. Have a designated holding place for those. I usually do a vertical file file sorter or mail sorter with different folders. So I'll have one folder for action, one folder for file, and then a third holding place for things that don't necessarily require action right away. And you don't need to keep it forever, but maybe it's like, I need to compare insurance plans and figure out which one to do. So those will have a holding place called pending. Um, And then the real trick is to uh, have a system where you're consistently emptying those folders. So I say once a week, some people do it every, every two weeks, but have you know, something in your calendar that says, okay, it's like paper clear out day and I need to take care of all of these actions. I need to put these in my filing cabinet or filing box or whatever you've got. And then just review what, what's in your pending and, and make a plan for what's going to happen next with that. So you got to stay on top of it. I apologize for the noise. My dog is like coming in and out of the, the dog okay. door. <laughs> That's good. People will now know what that flapping sound is. It's, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's a really magnetic uh, dog door, but yeah. <laughs> One of the kind of my favorite little takeaways from 
from the book is um, using like cardboard boxes as drawer dividers and the kind of like yeah. not needing to go out to like a fancy storage store and buy fancy drawer dividers that you can just like use an Amazon box, rip the top off yeah. of it and like it's a drawer divider. Are there any other uh, little kind of reuse hacks that you that you like to share with clients? Yeah. I mean, boxes are a great example. They can be used so many different ways. I mean, Amazon boxes, maybe not the most joyful uh, to look at. So depending on where you're going to put it, but shoe boxes, shoe box lids and like small little tech boxes. So whether it's, you know, a cell phone or a jewelry box or a stationary box, those can be wonderful to organize little things either in your bathroom drawer or your desk drawer little small things where you can stand things up and her folding method is you know probably my favorite storage hack it's just to fold things up into a little square where they can stand up vertically so you open the drawer and can literally see everything all at once you do that and and you really just continually are mindful about what you own and what you bring in. You're not going to duplicate something that you see every day when you open up. Whereas, you know, clothes stacked on top of each other, who knows what's at the bottom. You probably haven't seen it in a long time. How would you recommend, I'm trying to make this question general, but it's really just selfishly for, for me. Um, I share a closet with my wife, a very, like a small, like standard little closet. And this holds both of our entire wardrobes, which I think we're both fairly proud of. It's very tall, like we have high ceilings, but it's not deep. So like down, we each have like a three drawer stacker, which is where like I have most of my clothes and then I have hanging clothes above it. But then like on these racks above, um, there are a lot of clothes that are just kind of folded and stacked. And I'm, and, okay. and I'm curious, like the, the, the Marie Kondo system of folding things so that you can pull out a drawer and kind of see everything seems to work well if you've got that depth of a drawer but if you have to mm -hmm. like go up vertically um do you have any suggestions hmm. that's a good question um i know that like could you install uh floating shelves and then have baskets or boxes um to hold the vertical clothes that would be an option i would have to see kind of the configuration of the closet. It sounds like there's long hanging on top and then you've got two dressers with three drawers each underneath and there's gap in between. Something like that. So the gap in between is where I would have boxes that you can treat as drawers. That's often the trick if you've got shelves in your closet, but you don't have anywhere that you can have drawers. You just kind of make drawers out of baskets or boxes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Sorry to go on that tangent. I was just like, oh, maybe I'll just ask while we're here. Hey, it's related. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So I think I I heard about you through the online tiny house event. Um. How did you get How did you get mixed up in the tiny house movement? <laughs> um. They reached out to me. Uh. I think they found me on the KonMari website. So she has a consultants page where you can search for a consultant near you by zip code, or you can search by level. And I think because I was at the master level, they're like, she probably knows what she's talking about. Let's reach out to her. So, but that tiny event was so cool. I loved it. I wish I had gotten a chance to uh, see more of the talks, but 
but it was a cool platform and and it's it, I could really tell that the tiny housers are like just a tight knit community and it was it was really cool to be a part of that. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people who are are dreaming of a tiny house um this is kind of the first step that they can take even if they're you know months or years away from you know planning or building a tiny house doing this work of kind of paring down your possessions is is really the first step and it can really help help you stay motivated and make you feel ready yeah absolutely i mean like i was saying you know the first step is to have your vision for your ideal life so definitely diving into to content and to learning from what others have done and what worked for them and maybe what didn't work for, from them. I mean, I listened to several episodes of your podcast and, and it's just a great resource for people wanting to explore the lifestyle uh, before diving into it head first. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Have you ever, have you worked with anyone who's like wanting to go and move into a tiny house? Yes. I've worked with one client whose goal is to go tiny. She's giving herself a couple of years. So it's not, you know, on the immediate horizon for her. And I've worked with another client who is currently living in a tiny house and has a storage loft. And she recently inherited a bunch of stuff from her mom who passed. So we've been kind of going, digging into the sentimental category, which is the last category of the method. And it's last because it's most difficult. So I was, I've been there to kind of emotionally support her and guide her and help her kind of figure out what to keep to best memorialize her mom and her relationship with her mom without having so much stuff. Cause it didn't, you know, it made her loft area really unavailable for any other use than storage. Right. Right. One area that tiny house builders like people people who are building their own tiny houses have trouble with that i had trouble with is um like building supplies and then i've heard from people also like art supplies like you know and do you have any advice on on art or building supplies hmm. give me more information what kind of building supplies and what kind of art supplies well i mean Building supplies, I think of it as um, both tools, so like larger tools that that certainly aren't going to fit in the tiny house. They're going to require some kind of outside space. Um, mm -hmm. Also, just leftover, like usable leftover building supplies um, could mm -hmm. be another kind of subcategory of that. Yeah, good. Um, so I think with the larger tools, I'm imagining imagining like saws and large power tools and things like that. I would think that some sort of an external structure, whether a shed or other enclosure would be the way to go. And to keep it small, I would utilize pegboards as much as possible. Those can be so reconfigurable and really helpful a lot of different things. So I like the flexibility of that and the fact that you can see everything at a glance and you don't have to dig through those big kind of bucket tool chests. Um, and boards or, or whatever kind of ex excess materials. Yeah. I wonder if there would be a way to store those under the house. I'm not sure. I guess it depends on, on how that is set up and if it would be, you know, protected from weather and critters and that kind of thing. Yeah. People who are like, 
collecting things for salvage, like trying to build their house with used materials, will end up collecting a lot more things than they actually end up using. Um, sure. Yeah. That, that's tough. I mean, I get it. And, you know, hobby stuff in general, can it's always like the weirdest shapes. It's usually large. I mean, so when you're going to a tiny house, you really have to see what is worth owning here and what can I maybe just rent when I need to. So, you know, maybe not in the time of the pandemic, but certainly if you live somewhere where there's like kind of a communal craft place that you can pay a membership to and just use their supplies and their tools, that would be a great workaround. And otherwise, you know, if you're just going to ski once every couple of years, you don't need to own all the stuff. You can just borrow it or rent it when, when the moment's right. So I think it, it really makes you think about like ownership and it, it can be a burden. So if, if you can avoid it, <laughs> yeah, I'm sounding like a minimalist and, and that's not KonMari. That's just my own kind of point of view. So totally. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I've had to learn to not collect those things. Cause I, I'll see, you know, you'll be at a reuse store, you'll see a great window or you'll see a great thing. And you're like, Oh, I could totally build an X out of this, but it's like, I don't have anywhere to put it. And like the cost mentally and maybe even in dollars of storing it for months or years, you know, unfortunately it leans towards just like when I do go to do that project, maybe I'll just go out and buy exactly what I need. Yep. Yep. That is, that is the thinking pattern and that's what starts to happen. I think it's, it's brilliant. Um, so many, so often my clients have, you know, these someday projects or maybe they started it, but never finished it. And they're just looking for like permission to let go of that, like to do on their list, you know, and it's about prioritizing and getting really clear. I'm like, okay, what, what matters most here and what's most compatible with the life that I want to live? Like in a lot of cases, like you're right, you know, getting a great deal doesn't make it great for you. So spending a little bit more on the thing that you know you want at the time you want it, in my in my mind, that that's a good move. Nice. One thing that I like to ask all of my guests is, uh, what are two or three resources that that have helped you that you want to share with others? And I'm throwing you a curveball. You can't recommend the life changing art of dining up. Are there any other books or resources or people? Um, who you follow or have read that you that you like to share? Yeah, um, I expected this question, and nice job. <laughs> <laughs> I also anticipated the curveball because it's a given that I would recommend Marie Kondo's book. I'd say so. Part of what motivates me in my work with clients is giving them information on the environmental impact of stuff, and a couple of resources that have really helped me shape my mindset around those are Zero Waste Home by Bea Johnson and the Story of Stuff documentary. The Story of Stuff, like, it's not the most objective uh, documentary, I'd say. It's, it leans very heavily towards, like, anti-capitalism. But, but it really shines a light on how, you know, a lot of companies are making 
stuff with an expiration date already in it so that planned obsolescence, right? So you need to purchase the same thing over and over again. So that was really great. Um, And as far as productivity and tips for increasing your efficiency and kind of the the habits of maintaining a tidy home, I really love David Allen's um, Getting Things Done. Um, he's got really great processes, like you were talking about paperwork coming in and things like that. So those are really great. And Essentialism is my last recommendation by Greg McCowan. Really helps you get in the mindset of getting clear on what's most important and building your life around that. So letting go of all of the non-essential stuff, both, both physical and you know your time and all of that. Awesome. Well, Erin Mersh, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was really fun. Thank you, Ethan. I had a good time and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to Erin Mersh for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes from today's episode, including links to Erin's website and recommended books at thetinyhouse.net slash 124. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 124. And don't forget to submit your questions for the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast to be answered live on an upcoming episode. To do that, just head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask and then hit the appropriate button to record your question. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash ask. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.